Welcome to the podcast by MSD Animal Health, the podcast series from and for the swine community. Today, we are opening the gut health chapter of our podcast with Dr. Gonzalo González Mateos, our unmatched hosts, Mikael Colell, Global Technical Director, and Hong Yaoling, Technical Director Asia, are going to deep dive into the nutritional aspect of the topic with Dr. González Mateos. My name is Olivia Flor, Global Marketing Director for MSD Animal Health, and I hope you will enjoy today's conversation. In this meeting, we are going to comment in short areas that will influence or improve pig production, especially related to how the gastrointestinal tract work and how to avoid scour problems that are quite frequent. First is to have into account that it's a multifactorial problem, which means that needs a multifactorial approach. That means that you have to work with management, you have to work with husbandry, you have to work with hygiene, vaccination, and nutrition. In the area that I work more, which is nutrition, the important thing is change the objective. Objective now, especially in winning pigs, is not that pigs to grow more, is to have less scour in order to grow more in the growing fattening feed phases, which means, in short, you have to change the nutrition practice. And the changes that we are going to discuss during this meeting for nutrition practice will be first fit form that we, did, we will mention. Fit form, remember, the finer, the better for digestibility, but not necessarily the better for the gastrointestinal tract development. And then the level of crude protein as low as possible, level of fiber, insoluble fiber, as high as possible, and reduce the macro minerals content as much as possible. Means be careful not to use too high levels of calcium or phosphorus that are not needed for the animals. Okay, so one thing, for example, related to this, is not related to pigs, but it's important to understand because at, at the end, everything in life, philosophy is important to know how to use it. It's what the reason for broken rice, which is a very good product for pigs, especially for piglets. And the reason is because it helps to control some kind of diarrhea in piglets. And this happened, I mean, you can learn, you read books from the World War II and the British, uh, British Empire, remember, they were in, fi in fight in Asia, and there were many prisoner camps, and there were two types of prisoner camps, ones in which rice was available and ones in which the rice was not available. In both cases, the prisoners really suffered, but where rice was not available, the mortality was much higher. So that's the reason for me, in my case, to start working with the area of rice use in piglet diets. Hello, welcome to another podcast. Uh, as you know, we are always trying to bring you the best, the best that we have in this in this world related to the swine uh, production. And today we have the pleasure again to have someone that is one of the best in his position. Uh, we have with us Dr. Gonzalo González Mateos, which is, uh, I well, if you should, do you know that sometimes I love to try to make definitions in one single word? So if we say, we need to say one single word for Gonzalo González Mateos, that is no. So because uh, he has so many uh, knowledge about uh, the swine world, but let's say that nutrition and he is expert in in that and anything that is related to that they they he, he knows he knows a lot so for us it's a it's a big pleasure to have gonzalo gonzalo mateos with uh, with with us 
let me tell you a few a few things about the bio of, of uh, Dr. Gonzalo Gonzalez Mateos. He's a, 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 a BS in animal production from Universidad Politecnica de Madrid, and also he has a DBM in veterinary science. So as you see, he has a lot of uh, let's say knowledge on on this world, as well as he when he was deciding to do PhD, he didn't do only one, so he decided to do two. So one at the veterinary uh, science in in veterinary science in uh, Autonomy of Barcelona, and the second one in animal science poultry in, in Iowa State University from Iowa. So as you see, two two different uh, let's say um, knowledge fields, uh, two different PhDs. Uh, and when he was starting to work, he was working also mainly in two countries. One is U.S. and another one is Spain, if I'm not wrong, Gonzalo. No? So, well, we have someone that, that uh, I really think that we can enjoy a lot having him uh, today here. Uh, welcome, Dr. Gonzalo González Mateos. Welcome, Dr. Mateos. Thank you for the presentation. And the reason that I studied that much was because I didn't want to work. And my parents I, pay for that. So it's, it's <laughs> very much. Well, let me, let me say that uh, uh, <laughs> you don't work, but you, you do a lot of effort as, as, as we did. Uh, and we, we have a lot of things in common, besides the fact that both of us, uh, uh, we have been working in US and Spain as well. Uh, you have some uh, daughters as I have, but maybe you, you want me because you have five, I have four. So congratulations for that. And I understand that that's really tough. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> cool. Let me let me let me start on what we will. And, and uh, sorry, I didn't I didn't introduce you, Hong. Hong, which will be our host here. Uh, Hong will be sorry the one that they will uh, conduct all the all these podcasts for us. And but uh, I, I like to 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 start this topic saying that when we talk about gut health nutrition i'd like to see on on that way uh, one of the reasons that i don't like summer and this is probably a too personal thing but one of the reasons that i don't like summer is mosquito i hate mosquitoes i hate mosquitoes because they bite me and they 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 are really harmful for me so i don't like it and i always hear that it's not easy to avoid mosquitoes and it's something that you need to fight in different uh different uh areas so it's not only about prevention that means that it's not only about trying to don't have water uh, just a, a stand in some places that they help the larva to grow it's not only about um, trying to avoid the mosquitoes entering your 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 house so then you can have some protections on the windows or stuff like this it's not only about this prevention that sometimes it's going behind the, this protection on the windows to don't allow the mosquitoes get in or to have some uh, mosquito repellent on your skin or even to put some insecticide on the on the ambience. It's about when you have the mosquito bite to, 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 to try to avoid that. So I, I like to see when we talk about that things, that it's um, the gut flora and, and the role of nutrition and that I think that they play an important role. What do you think, Hong, about that? 
Well, Miguel, I wasn't sure where you were going with that analogy, but uh, okay, I finally <laughs> understand. So yeah, prevention is better than cure. Uh, it's always better to um, stop the mosquitoes from biting you by preventing them from breeding. Stop, stop, stop. Uh, I, for, I, forgot, I forgot one thing, Hong, to introduce you. So Hong is my colleague. <laughs> is, 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 sorry for that. So Hong, Hong is our technical guy in, in, in Asia. So anything that happens in Asia, Hong knows. And he has a broad experience as a, as a field practitioner because he's been working in, in Australia in a, in, a, in a big consultancy company. So sorry, Hong, and please go ahead sure. with the analogies that, that you, were, you were doing. Okay, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, prevention is better than cure. So I guess, um, uh, Dr. Mateos, first of all, I mean, um, uh, for our audience, uh, uh, I, um, as uh, Mikhail was saying, you know, you, you have two PhDs and uh, a very wide field of research. Um, would you like to start by maybe telling us what your current field, uh, what, what areas of research uh, you're currently working in, um, just, just for the interest of our listeners? Yeah, just talking, I'm working in different areas. Remember, I, I, I am at the university, but at the same time, I'm doing some consultancy work all over the place. So my work is not only to talk, but it's only also to work. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you talk if you don't work, but it's, it's very broad in this aspect. And one thing that uh, is good for me, but I don't know for others, is I don't like to work always in the same thing. So I like broad knowledge of the things. Once I know more or less what is happening, I change to another subject. So that's the reason you see all my work. I work in poultry, I work in pigs. You see my contributions are never the same. So if you don't like one, move two, three years up or down and you will find it's totally different. And I like that. And I recognize that other things are important. People that just specialize in something in particular subject is very, very important, but it's not my case. And everything that I do is practical oriented. I had none, I had never done, I mean, my feeling, or not, not too many things, uh, just research, just at the scientific level. It's always related to companies and problems to solve or to try to solve problems. In my case, as Mikel said, I'm a veterinarian, but I'm not very good as a veterinarian, so I had to move to nutrition. And that's what I'm working for the last years. And I have very, very clear one thing. Nutrition without production does not work. In practical, both things go together. And when I say production, I mean management, I mean hygiene, I mean everything. And this is my recommendation always for young nutritionists. If they don't move to the farms, they are losers. And I think no way to do a good job. I, I like that. I'm sorry for don't mention that. Uh, well, I was assuming that you were working. And sorry for don't mention that that you are now a professor at, at the university. So so sorry for for don't mention that. But but that's true. Uh, it's one of those professors. You know that there are different kinds of professors in the university. The ones that they are uh, in the let's say in the gold box that they are there teaching, and the ones that they are. Uh, well, teach is something else. That means that they like to be really close to the to the field. And I think that maybe Gonzalo, this is for your past as a as a 
I don't want to say as a real worker because I don't want to say that university are not real workers, but uh, the, as a pass in, in the industry. So you really know well the industry because your past uh, life in, for instance, in the co-op, co-ops, uh, cooperatives are not easy places to work. And you were uh, dealing with uh, daily work there, uh, solving all these daily problems. So this is why you have this practical approach, no? Yeah. To me, it was good because I didn't program my life. I mean, the life programmed me. So I just have to follow the river. It's not like now that you know what I'm going to do in three years from now. But in my case, it was good because I work first with a premix and selling products, which is very good. It's the best experience that you can have when you are a nutritionist. First, try to sell products because then you know what's going on. So I was the salesman of premixes, additives, and, and vaccines because I work also in the company I work. We work in all the areas. Second, I moved to a big co-op in which you really have to work with people, which is much more important to work with animals or more difficult. Third, I moved to the US. In the US, I work for marketing. And I'm not an expert on marketing, but I learn a lot. And fourth, I moved to the university. So without trying to do that, I have a very good knowledge of four areas that are key in animal production. So I touch everything, but not in deep, only just as I like. I like the big problems, not the small ones. The small one and lost. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's certainly uh, a good definition of a life well lived, I think. You've certainly touched uh, lots of areas in, in, in your career. I think, um, as, as you said before, right, um, to approach production problems and is something that, um, that's been a part of your career um, all, all this while. Um, in terms of production problems, many, of, uh, many farms, swine farms around the world, I guess, have been um, battling with uh, enteric problems that, I guess, we are running out of solutions to based on the regulatory environment, um, you know, nowadays with control over sub-therapeutic uses of antibiotics and things like that. Does, does your research um, touch into those areas and, and, and what options have you explored for, for producers there uh, for controlling enteric diseases in, in pigs? Yeah. Or in chickens, yeah, for that matter. Yeah. yeah again, based on my background, for all the problems, I got two approaches. One will be, let's say, the scientific approach, because I'm a professor at the university, and second, the practical approach. I mean, scientifically, you look at the vaccines, you know that Lausonia is different from Black Spira, you know that E. coli is around, that Salmonella can produce. This is very important. So from scientifically, I'm not working as a veterinarian, I'm working as a nutritionist. And that's what I say when and I will comment what I do when I have a problem, a real problem. But in real life, many times the people, when you go to the farm, they don't know what they have. I mean, they say, okay, it looks like we have elatis, but I, not, not too many people tell you what they have because it's not easy to separate. And I distinguish more than you have elatis. If they know it better, I, I don't have any problem with better knowledge. But most of the times, you don't really know what they have. You only have a problem, that they are not making money. And the reason is because they have digestive problems. And they have digestive problems, you know that most of the time will be a combination of things. It's not very easy somebody tell you, no, no, we have only black spira. We check and we don't have anything else. It's not that easy. And in practical, in my practical life, this is not the main thing that they tell you. Okay? They say you will have problems with the scours, the, chick, the, the pigs don't grow. Most of the problems, of course, are related. Now it's changing a little bit, no? but it's changing... Is, move, is 
at the moment of the winning, winning time, or at the moment that they go to the fattening unit. These are the two main areas. If you control that, then you are in a safe place. And one thing that I noticed, once you are not allowed to use antibiotics, one thing that I noticed is that little by little, the problems are focused around winning, but the problems related to pre-fattening, which we care about that, are disappearing little by little. So if you solve the problems at the beginning, let's say at 30 days of age, then the problems at 20 kilos, 25 kilos are much lower. And this is the kind of thing, the kind of thing that I like. No? And why the, chick, the pigs are working better at 20 kilos than before, or from 20 to a slaughter? Because you solve the problems when, they, when you have to do it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that again, I guess, comes back to Mikhail's analogy just now of uh, pre- prevention and early prevention being, uh, being important there for, for, for especially for, well, for diseases in general, but in your case for enteric diseases. You mentioned also um, that you said there was a scientific way and, uh, and uh, maybe a more practical uh, aspect to things. Um, for, for the benefit of our producers that are listening in here, I mean, uh, do you have any practical tips uh, uh, for, for them to, for enteric disease control uh, in, in the farm? Would you like to share some practical tips with them? Yeah, I put an example similar, not as long, but similar to the mosquito from Mikel, which is when you have a problem, if you have a big problem, even a big problem that is caused but only one thing is very easy to solve. I mean, it's very easy. At, at the end, you will find it. The problem is when you have a problem that has multifactorial approaches. And then the people get lost because they are trying to find a single thing that will solve the problem. And many people, when they have, for example, this is a problem of a digestive tract, I mean, scours or whichever. People try only one solution. Okay, Gonzalo, just change the nutrition because they have scours. Or they go to the veterinarian and say, okay, look at, tell me what vaccines to use because they have scours. Or to go to the management people, hey, you have to improve because we have problems with the digestive tract or whichever. And this is the wrong approach. Eh? The approach is that it's multifactorial, and when you have many factors, what you have to do is try to separate them in different areas. And if you solve one of them, you have less problems to, uh, to have in front of you. So this is my approach. My approach is when I have, in the companies that I work, usually we have meetings always with the people in the field, with the nutritionists, with everybody. Not only the nutrition and the management people, everybody. Because each of them will tell you what the problems in this in, in in the area that they work. For example, in this case of scours, let's put it in general because this is what the people tell me. I can tell you, in the last ten years, ninety-five percent of the times the people don't tell me we have usually they say we have E. coli or whichever, no, because it's the more clear, the easy to to see. But the, the problem is how to reduce the problem, the digestive tract problem, and. And I put together many times, not in small pigs, but in fattening pigs, for example, and many times I put together problems with the ulcers, with the digestive tract, with the inespecific diarrhea, everything. To me, many times are close, means that the digestive tract is not working properly. And I know that there are many factors influencing that. One will be, as we said, Lausonia is all over the places. I know because at the end, many times when you ask the people, say, okay, we have some elatis, and you tell, why do you know that you have elatis? Then they give you some explanation, but they don't promise you that this is the problem. So you have management, you have buildings, you have type of peaks, you have the hygiene, 
you have the nutrition. So you have many things. So one thing that I like, for example, from vaccines is that they are taking out from this big mess of problems that might affect, you are taking out one of them. So you have one less to take care of. So it sounds like you're um, solving a complex problem by going back to first principles and uh, so, uh, simplifying and taking out factors one by one. You're solving uh, the, the, the obvious ones so that you can untangle it because uh, I think we agree, right? Um, digestive problems are, uh, is like a ball of uh, yarn. You know, you have to untangle the thing slowly. And um, so what, what you're saying also is that Lawsonia is one of these uh, these things here that, I mean, apart from your yeah, management and uh, the, um, um, uh, husbandry and things like that. So uh, solving the, the disease side of things is also uh, a possible start there. You yeah. can take a start there. Right? Now, so right. it's something that at the end, everybody mentioned, elitis, no? This is very clear. And when you tell it, okay, which is causing the elitis, it's not that clear. But Lausonia is always around that. Okay? So it's a, now one thing is important in my case, remember I'm a vet, but I'm working in nutrition. And I like to talk with the veterinarians, with everybody together, but all of my approach is the next one. The next one is, okay, we talk, and I think this problem is because uh, Lausonia, Ilaitis, because they are not vaccinating, because they have problems after the, in growing, but not in, in pre-fattening or whichever, no, at the beginning after that, or because of the type of diarrhea. That's correct. But once you decided that the problem is poor management or is black speed or whichever, I say, okay, now forget, they didn't call me to solve the Lausonia problem. They didn't call me to solve the E. coli problem or the hygiene or the poor management. They called me for nutrition. So now from a nutrition point of view, what can I do to reduce the problem? Not to solve, because in my mind, I believe that this is because of disease or because of management. I don't care. But at the end, they call me not to solve management problem. They call me for nutrition. So once I say that, okay, what I have to do, or the opposite, what I don't have to do that many times is more important. I don't have very clear what to do in many occasions, but I have very, very clear what I don't have to do. For example, if you have digestive tract problem, you have diarrhea, one thing that you know, you don't know if you have to reduce the good protein content of the diet, but you know for sure that you cannot increase it. <laughs> and to me, that's easier and it's more effective. Yeah, but and wants a solution. I don't have that solution. That's that's great because in the problems you you solve half of the problem if you know first of all the problem and second of all if you know what you don't need to do, exactly. which is something that the people sometimes they don't they don't pay attention to that eh? uh, trying to solve the problem. Uh, it's just like when we are making discussions in strategy and things like this, we say it's important to have a strategy and to have a strategy is to say well we want to go there, but a strategy is also to say we don't want to go there. Uh, yeah. So so. So it's important to have this this thing in mind, and I like a lot Gonzalo this this uh, this uh, way of looking at the things. I think that it's a great a great idea. Yeah. Let, let's uh, let's pick up on something you've uh, said just now. I think it's quite interesting. So the crude protein, right? Um, again, coming back to the fact that we have a lot of wiener pigs, and in that time, a lot of uh, things are now not being allowed by regulatory authorities uh, for usage: uh, zinc oxide, uh, even antibiotics. Um, crude protein and changing the crude protein levels. Um, what what are your thoughts there? I mean, uh, uh, you know, there's a trade-off, right? You take down the crude protein, and the pigs grow a bit slower. Uh, what are your thoughts there around? Yeah. A, a, crude protein around the time of weaning for, for piglets. That, that sounds like an interesting thing for producers, maybe. Yeah. But this, this is an area that is important related to protein and antibiotics. 
to me, I'm working all over the world. And my solution or my recommendation is not the same in the countries in which you cannot use antibiotics, that in the countries in which you can use antibiotics. It's totally different. I mean, you cannot recommend in some countries the same thing that you do in Spain. It's, it's totally a mistake. Because nutrition, every time that you change, will increase the price. And not always you will solve the problem. This is very clear. And antibiotics, in general, they will solve, at least short term, short term, they will solve the problem. And my feeling, all these things, that's, for example, I'm very much in favor of not using antibiotics in the, in the diet of all kinds of animals. Not only basic, which also, but remember, I'm talking from nutrition, not only because of the humans, because of that, that's the important thing at the end, no? But I'm always looking at my work, which is as a nutritionist of animals. And I know when I, I take out the antibiotics, I suffer a lot. You will have a lot of problems, but it's short term. Medium term, you are more or less the same. And long term, you are much better. That's my recommendation in general. And you are not much better because, first, because everybody changed. And second, because poor people that are doing good, a, a good job will continue doing a good job. And the people that are not working properly, they will disappear. So at the end, long term, for a, not to use antibiotics, which means most of the time now around winning, to me is beneficial. Around winning up to 20 kilos. No? Now, one thing is important also is recommend because people say, always believe, no, no, if we have excess of protein, for example, or excess of, uh, is diarrhea. Diarrhea is because the things, the, 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 the ingredients are not digested, go to the Zika or to the large intestine, and then they ferment and they produce diarrhea. I do not agree totally, I mean, I do not agree totally, let's put it that way, with this approach. And let's put, you have to separate very, very clearly what is fermentation from carbohydrates and fermentation from protein. And what I say, when you have fermentation of carbohydrates, let's say a starch that is not digested, or you just, uh, uh, in the uh, soluble fiber, which you, uh, you have to, you will be, it will be fermented. If you ferment it, means that you will produce free fatty acids. Free fatty acids, I don't know where, but they will reduce the pH. If you reduce the pH, you will control better the growth of the bad guys, let's put it. No? In general, the microorganisms that are health, uh, harmful for the animals used to be better at a high pH, at a close to 7, while the good ones uh, used to work better at uh, less than 7%, 7 pH. For example, cross, uh, this case, Clostridium, Salmonella, they prefer 7 to 6.5. So when you have fermentation of carbohydrates, first you have free fatty acids, which is not bad. Second, one of these free fatty acids will be butyric acid, which is not bad. Right now, everybody is moving for all the good things. For example, in the past, we said lactic acid. I like it. But lactic acid, I remember, I always complain on that. The lactobacillus needs a lot of energy, a lot of nutrients. It's one of the microorganisms that reduce the feed conversion and you don't need it. Because they, but now it comes out that the lactobacillus, what they do is to move, is produce lactic acid, but the good thing is not lactic acid, which is not bad. The good thing is butyric acid from the lactic acid. And butyric acid, you learn, now the money is in humans, that when you have butyric acid in humans, it's not only that is the everything, I mean, we, we tell the colonocytes that prefer uh, as, as a source of energy, directly butyric acid, it's also that might influence uh, immunity, which is what is, people is working in humans. So at the end, in short, 
to me, fermentation of carbohydrate, I don't say it's good. Let's put it because I cannot go against everybody. No? Fermentation of carbohydrate is not as bad as people believe. If I move now to protein, the problem with the protein is that it's a source. I mean, it's fermented. Remember, the protein that is digested does not cause any problem. It's digested. It will not show up in the, in the large intestine. The bad one is the one that is not digested. That will go to the large intestine and will do exactly the opposite. The branched amino acid will produce indole, will produce toxic to the digestive tract. Of course, the animals are not stupid and they try to solve the problem. So there will be alkalinization. There will be the clostridium. The clostridium really likes, they love to, to live on protein. Eh? So at the end, you have toxic. It's like drinking a glass of ammonia when you go home. Oh, I mean, you, it's not good. And of course, the animals try to reduce the problem, but they have it. So the point that I want to make here is that the fermentation of carbohydrate is not as bad as people believe. And fermentation of protein is much, much worse than people believe. Mm -hmm. So when I have problems with the digestive tract, scours of all kinds of animals, I don't look for fermentation of carbohydrates. Which I repeat, I don't see. I, I don't see that. I don't say that it's perfect, but I can tell you. If we don't have fermentation humans, if we don't have any microorganisms, we don't have fermentation, we are in trouble. So to me, I'm working mostly with the protein content and specifically with the branched amino acids. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting um, uh, uh, join into our next uh, question, actually, that I realized you brought up just now. Carbohydrates. So um, are there certain uh, grains that provide better forms of carbohydrates and uh, I guess more beneficial um, fermentation um, in, in, uh, in your opinion for, uh, for, for livestock. I mean, um, you know, there's often different kinds of grains used. Uh, uh, is there, are there certain types of grains that uh, may, uh, may be better, yeah, in your opinion? Yeah, to, to me for the carbohydrates, we have to separate the fiber and the and let's say the starch or the more digestible, no, the, and the more digestible, we can move to, for example, to the cereals that at the end is the basics, no? But probably could be a good idea to move first to the fiber because this is the two big changes that I noticed. Remember when I work, I start working uh, 30, 30, or no, not even that much. Still when we were using antibiotics 10, 15 years ago that we were using antibiotics, that our diet has around 20% for piglets. I'm talking mostly, unless I said the opposite, let's talk about piglets from 21 to 35 days, no more or less be, before. I mean, in this moment, we, we were manufacturing diets with 20% protein. And we didn't have any problem because we were using not one antibiotic. Sometimes we were using three or four. Yeah, it was a combo of antibiotics. It was no problem. 20% was perfectly uh, used by most people. And the opposite. We knew that the fiber is not palatable, and we use low level of fiber in the diet. Many times for piglets, you see diet with less than 3% glue fiber, eh? even less. And the people, when they want better palatability, reduce even more, even more the fiber, because at the end, what you do, when you want good feed, thing, good feeds, always you reduce the fiber content of the diet. And this now is totally wrong. So right now we are doing exactly the opposite. We are using low protein. Sometimes in these animals will be less than 16.5%, even less than 16% when you have anti uh, 
when you don't have antibiotics in non-antibiotic animals. And second, the fiber will increase. Sometimes I have been using up to 6% fiber in this diet. And what's the reason? We were wrong 10 years ago? No way. We are wrong now? No way. The problem is that our objectives have changed. 10 years ago or 15 years ago, the objective was to make sure that the, that the pigs grew a lot. And if you want the pigs to grow a lot, you have to use no protein, of course, it's amino acid. You have to increase the amino acid, all of them, not only lysine, which many people do that, it doesn't work, has to be all the amino acids, which means that you have to increase the protein. And second, you have to reduce the fiber. Why? Because fiber is not, it's not palatable. But now what are the objectives? Now my objective is not the, the pigs to grow a lot from 21 to 35 days. I don't care. My objective have changed, is not to have scours. And if the new objective have changed, I have to change the formulation. And now what the people ask me? The people, no, no, Gonzalo, this is very good. Uh, you talk and you are very good on talking, but I want no, no diarrhea and the, and the pigs to grow 400 grams per day. And then what I told them, you have to call another consultant. I cannot do that. Today, I can tell you, in 10 years, I'm sure I can do that. Once we know how to handle the piglet. Now we don't. We don't know how to do it. And the people want to do that without changing management, without changing the type of pig, without changing the winning time. I mean, you, you can wait. I mean, you can win the pigs with 15 days if you use antibiotics. That has been done in the US. I mean, I do not agree, but anyway, but they, you can do it. But if you don't use antibiotics, you cannot win the animals with less than 5.5, 6 kilos. I mean, what is better? Six kilos much better than 5.5. That's very clear to me. So the objective has changed. If the objective changed, nutrition has to change. Doesn't mean it's worse or better. It's different. Right, right. That that completely makes sense to us as well. Uh, things have to change with the times, and uh, uh, certainly with when you're not able to uh, to use certain uh, antibiotics and things like that, then the focus then becomes on yeah reducing the problem rather than just getting an animal as big as possible. That's uh, that's a good point. And uh, so you mentioned, uh, I think um, you know you talk about the fiber. Uh, and, uh, I think also uh, is there are there particular grains. Uh, that that uh, um, are helpful at this early stage uh, piglet. I mean, okay, for example, here in Asia, you know, a, a lot of people uh, consume rice. Uh, yeah. It's probably something that may be a little too expensive to use in animal diets all the time. Uh, but we've um, certainly seen in human studies where uh, rice has been um, used uh, in, yeah. in for enteric diseases. So, what what are your thoughts on that? For example, different kinds of grains uh, helping out with the digestive tract. Yeah. Okay, I, I will tell you, I will talk on that maybe later, maybe now before, because we one thing that we forgot, because fiber, we are really happy. We talk about fiber, we don't know what we are talking about. Fiber, everything that we don't know what to do with it, we call fiber. <laughs> fiber, the only thing is important for fiber is not digested, but can be fermented. And now the point is fermentation is good or bad? People believe that fermentation might be fiber. Once first, fiber is not good. But once I have fiber, let's pick up something that is soluble, that is fermentable, because then I will have free fatty acid, which is correct. But for piglets, this could be okay for sours, for example, because always give you a comfort, no? But for piglets, probably it's more important today at the winning time, insoluble fiber. Because the problem in piglets is that you have diarrhea. If you have diarrhea, 
means that you have multiplication of pathogens. You have multiplication of pathogens means that the feed is not moving fast. If the feed moves fast, the bacteria cannot work, cannot grow. So to me, it's very important that in this diet, we are using insoluble fiber. We don't want for the first 10 days after winning, we don't want soluble fiber. After that, I think it's good because then you have all what we say, the free fatty acid and all these things that we mentioned. But remember, okay. again, it's important to know which is your problem. And depending on that, you will recommend insoluble, soluble fiber, or in case that you don't know, you recommend a mixture. That's what I do. I mean, if I don't know <laughs> what is better, I, I do a mixture. Uh, are there are there certain yeah. uh, ingredients that are higher, uh, or what what are good ingredients that contain good levels of insoluble fiber, uh, and and what are some ingredients that contain good levels of soluble fiber? I guess uh, could could you give some examples for some of our listeners who may not be so versed? Yeah, with fiber you have to be careful because all of them are totally different, and when you say one of them, it's not necessarily correct one hundred percent. But let's say an example to me, basically of insoluble fiber is oat holes. In general, all the cereals are very rich in insoluble fiber. Oat holes, even rice holes. Rice holes has a problem that is very, very high in silica, and the silica might affect the digestive tract because it's very, I mean, you, you, you can have some problem with the silica of the rice hole. But the straw, I'm using Spain straw also. It's difficult, more difficult to handle, but it's correct. So this is oat holes. Oat holes have, for example, as an example that I put, have two benefits. First, it's insoluble. And second, it's not fermented. No benefits, two, two ideas. And now, the opposite could be sugar with pulp. Sugar with pulp is soluble and it's not linified, so it's very easily fermented. So it depends what you want. No, I want free fatty acid. Make sure that you use sugar with pulp. No, I want something that moves the feed out of the digestive tract. Sugar with pulp will not do that because it's not linified you will need something that is lignified as alcohol or straw that will move the feed out so the animal will not grow because the fiber is reducing the digestibility because it's increasing the rate of passage. But my objective is not that. My objective is not to have diarrhea. In order not to have diarrhea, you have to move fast the feed to avoid multiplication of microorganisms. And, and what did the rice on, on, on that? Because I remember being a kid, my mother always eat rice. Yeah. This is, this is important. Now let's go to the cereal, which is the part. And I learned that, and you ha I think you will have it. I learned a lot from John Plasky from, from Perth, from New Zealand, from New Zealand, from Australia. I learned a lot from them. Yeah, I started working. It, it, it was funny because I started working with rice in pigs, but to use it in broilers. In broilers, the reason is because I want very low fiber in broilers to make sure that low fiber diet makes the broilers to have diarrhea and not to grow. And then I start using rice in broilers. Uh, in pigs, it's not, the, it's not the same. In broilers, rice is very digestible, have more energy than corn, and finished. It's very good product. But just because it's better, has more nutrients, more energy in short. Has more starch, the starch is very digestible, so perfect. Now in pigs, it's different. Pigs be uh, behave similar to humans. And I will put two examples on that just to understand. First, in the Second World, Second World War, uh, World War, war uh, there were a lot of prisoners from the British Empire in the Asian countries, eh, in the concentration camps. And the mortality in those camps, the mortality was high, the people were suffering a lot, but in the concentration camps in which the prisoners ate 
rise, the mortality was much lower than in those camps in which rice was not available. So rice has something that makes sense. Second, we don't need to go to, to, to the empire, to the British empire. Now they are out of the European <laughs> Union, so we don't need to, <laughs> to mention them any longer. This is what happened in Spain. In Spain, when you were a kid and you have a problem of diarrhea, there were two solutions, and both of them work. If your father were poor, no food at all for one day. And I can tell you, you reduce the diarrhea. And if your parents were rich, you have some rice. Both <laughs> works, <laughs> depending on the standards. And now the point is why the rice is working. And still we don't know for sure. But it's very clear, and I did some trial in Spain, remember, is the country of probably out of Asia that produces more rice. I mean, yeah. it's the production of rice very high not only in the Mediterranean area, but also in Badajoz, in Extremadura, close to Portugal, there is a very good production of rice. And I started working on that as a source of cereals without any fiber. I was working then on low-fiber diet. And that's what I use, rice. And I noticed that when I substitute 50% of the corn for 50% of rice, the piglets ate 10% more. Wow. I have more than, it's published the paper, I have more than six, seven papers published on that. They eat more, not in broilers. In broilers, they eat less. Why? Because have more energy, so the animals eat a little bit less. But in pigs, they eat much more. And the reason I start working on that, that's what I get in contact with John Plasky, which is, by, by the way, now that he's not listening to us, he's a very, very good professional, I like him a lot. And we were together. We were looking at that for, for a long time. And we know there is something there in the rice, and I can tell you, nobody knows, because I try to read it, nobody knows what is inside there. But I know, for example, that in some way, when you go to the hospital, usually the first thing that they do before asking, I mean, first they ask you for the bank account, no? But after asking for the bank account, <laughs> they put you some serum in the blood, no? They just put it there. And in this serum that they put in blood, there are some components from the rice too. So wow. I mean that probably what they are doing is when the piglets die, they are always drying for dehydration. They are not drying because of coli, because not dry because of salmonella. It's dehydration. And what they do with you in the hospital is the same. They put you because the main reason of mortality is if you dehydrate. So they put you, it's very cheap and that. And the serum to me, the rice has something that will not let the animals to dehydrate as uh, that quickly. But it really is just you give it, and the animals will eat more. The feed conversion is not much better. It's a slightly better. But the main reason is that they grow much more. And one thing that I noticed in my research against what the John Plasky, and I call him for that, John, you told that with rice, the animals will, uh, will have less diarrhea. So, but in my experimental farm, when I used 60% rice, the piglets have more diarrhea. But I noticed he told me this is not possible, Gonzalo. You are not looking at the right pigs. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so it was correct. The pigs that have diarrhea in my facilities were the big ones. Why? Because they were eating a lot. So it was a diarrhea, but it was not a diarrhea because of black spira. It was not. The diarrhea was because they were eating a lot, so they have a, 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 just excess of consumption. But the, when you treat this animal with any antibiotic, the problem totally disappears. So right now, this paper was published more than 15 years ago when I started working on that. And rice, to me, 
is a very, very good product for piglets. And I will tell you one story because it's good. I was very happy because 15 years ago, I mean, I thought I, I discovered the world, no? You always believe that you are the first one. <laughs> sure, yeah, that happens. Okay? I was very happy. I just published that. In Spain, the people start using rice. That is still they are using. It's very expensive, but makes sense depending on what you want. And I was happy. I was putting my medals, and medals comes and comes, no? And suddenly <laughs> I was invited to go to Venezuela to give a, a university there to give a course for a week. And there it was in Maracaibo, in the lake Maracaibo, in the south, close to Colombia, where the, where the guerrilla were. Yeah. And they took me to this area, and suddenly they told me, do you want this small feed mill there? Do you want to visit this small feed mill? But it's, it's dangerous because it's close to Colombia, it's the area of the guerrilla. And I said, okay, if I'm here at home, I have my mother-in-law, so I prefer to <laughs> be the guerrilla. No? So, no, it's a nice lady, by the way. No? <laughs> so I went there to the feed mill, and it came out that the nutritionist was not there. It was a small feed mill, no? but in Venezuela, I mean, and then I say, what is it? Suddenly, they told me, well, the, the, the nutritionist is not here, but I will show you the feed mill. And suddenly I saw broken rice in one of the corners. And I went there and I said, the guy that was with me, it was the production manager, said, what is this? No, no, said, this is broken rice. And what do you have here? Because I thought, said, no, no, the nutritionist, it was a lady that I never met, told us not to prepare any diet for piglets without adding at least 30% of broken rice. So they destroyed all my feeling. <laughs> this lady in the middle of the... Oh, my <laughs> goodness. No way, no more than, better than me what to do for nutrition. Oh, my goodness. That's, wow, that's, that's a really nice history, Gonzalo. <laughs> As they say, right, um, a good idea is uh, always copied. So, yeah. <laughs> so I learned. I learned from that because I know now it's more important to copy, to improve copies than to invent something new. But do you know, this is, this is something that I, I think that it's great and, and only happens to people like you, that the, you are always ready to learn. And doesn't matter where, doesn't matter from who, because sometimes it happens that some people, or I don't want to say cultures, but some people, they, they, they hesitate to learn from someone that they may consider that they will not give uh, something. But but this is a, the best example that in every place in the world, even in the most <laughs> hidden place, you can learn. No, but this is what you said is important also in life. It's not related to pigs. It's in general. Yeah. we are here talking just in general. We don't need to to talk only one thing. One thing is very important. People I call nut secret nutritionists. Nutritionists that they have secrets. It doesn't happen with pathology. Everything. No? And to me, in general, of course, not 100%, but when you have a secret, it's because of something. <laughs> and usually it's because you are doing something wrong. <laughs> That's very good. I mean, not 100% of the time. No, no, but yeah. nice, nice, nice. You have secrets, and be careful. I mean, this for That's something. And, and this is just philosophy. I think life at the end is philosophy. I mm. think is. I'm totally open to talk. And for example, on my presentation, I don't have any problem on people using it. You don't send PDF. People want to use it. I don't have any problem. It's part of my world. No? But I say one thing. When I am open, I always tell the same thing. In China, Spain, Mexico. I only have the same thing, what I think. But I'm learning from 100 people. And I can tell you, the other 100 people might be stupid. But between the 100 of them, <laughs> they know much more than me. 
<laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You never know where you might find some uh, knowledge uh, worth learning, yeah. Now, coming back to what you were talking about, rice, I think a lot of our listeners will be quite interested because uh, uh, I think this is uh, quite uh, a different way of thinking that, 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 that might change things in the next few years as well. Uh, are there specific types of rice that are better for uh, piglets? I mean, you know, with rice, there's dry land rice and, uh, and wet agriculture rice. And are there specific cultivars of rice or in, in general, all yeah. kinds of rice probably have that effect? This is a very good question because you, are, you ask me, I will answer, but then I will ask you because probably you know more than me on that. My, no, my feeling is that might be different between the rice. That's my feeling because I see, for example, in the U.S., they copy. I mean, not they copy because we have a relationship with Petigrew, for example, that we talk and, and they try and didn't get the same result as me. To me, it's very clearly. I mean, you use 10% rice, you don't notice anything. When you notice when you have 60, but if 60% work, I know 10% would work. More, no, less. <laughs> that would work. It's, however, in this paper, they were not that clear. They were not bad, but it was not exactly the same than, than John Plasky is getting, or in my case. John Plasky is more focusing on how rice uh, control diseases. In my case, more how rice improve growth of the, which got together at the end, no? got together according to that. But in the case of Spain, for example, I always use, and I like to use one variety we call bomba. I think people from the area knows, because to me, was giving better data, better result than when I use another varieties. Eh? So I respond to you that I don't have any idea, but my feeling that I might. And the reason mm -hmm. is because we don't know why, why the piglets are eating 10% more with rice. It's related to glycemic index, for sure. I also published something on that for a for a thesis that we conducted. So the glycemic index change and means that you are hungry sooner. And with rice, you are hungry sooner than you eat potatoes. Okay? Yeah. That's the reason. Well, in fact, different rices, they have different boiling time, no? Okay. So, and I don't know, yeah, so I don't know if that, that, that's the reason why. So for sure they are different. And if I don't know why they are growing 10% more, I know there have been something in the rice that I don't know that might influence, so the variety might, might be related. I don't have any idea. So now, Hong, Dr. Hong, this is my question. Do you think that the type of rice will influence on the results of piglets when they consume diets high in rice? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean, I'm I'm not um, knowledge, as knowledgeable as you are, certainly, but uh, I certainly I certainly agree that uh, there are differences in satiety between, uh, let's say, rice, uh, brown rice, and white rice, at least in humans, uh, and perhaps that is also related to, as you said, the glycemic index in in piglets. So that it, it's just my own thought as well. But yeah, I I I just had this question when you when you brought up this uh, this topic there. Um, so just to recap as well, right? The, um, we, we say that the piglets uh, will eat more on rice, but we're not exactly sure uh, um, what, the, uh, what the reason is, right? I think just trying to recap what, what you're saying there is that we're not exactly sure why, right, at this moment. Yeah, my feeling is related to glycemic index, which is the people feel hungry mm -hmm. uh, sooner when you eat a paella, for example, in the case of Spain, than when you eat a French fries. On also because of oil, of course, it's also influenced. But this will be a, a good question from John Plasky, because mm -hmm. I can tell you he knows more because he 
when he was looking at the control diseases with broken rice and with soluble fiber, eh, or insoluble fiber, he, he worked on that. So probably he will, he will have new knowledge on that. In fact, they published a book. Uh, Australia published a book based on John Plasky research on rice use in animal feeding. That's, okay. a, that's, that's a good segue. I mean, uh, in, in, he's actually a speaker on our program in a future uh, session. So certainly yeah, we will go deeper into, into that. So probably <laughs> now, now it's time to, to, to recap. And, and well, let me say something. I think that uh, today I will make a paella because <laughs> of, of after all this, I become I, I to say, well, I, I have some uh, bomba, this rice at home and I will make a paella for sure today. So uh, Hong, do you want to say something to recap? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, I, actually I would like to invite uh, Dr. Mateus to, to, to recap the, the uh, points or, or to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, maybe the first, there were a, a couple of takeaways that I, that I took there. I think the first one was a philosophical one, right? Never be afraid to learn. I think, uh, and never be afraid to uh, copy a good idea. <laughs> that's learn and copy a good idea. That's that's the philosophical takeaway that I had there. Okay, the second one is um, the, the 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 protein, right? Protein in wiener pigs is probably something that we can adjust downwards uh, to to, uh, to to prevent diarrhea if we are running if we are not able to use antibiotics and things like zinc oxide. Would would you agree that's that 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 would be a a, a point there? Yeah, in fact, for crude protein, when we mention crude protein to reduce, we talk about um, this problem, fermentation of protein, but there are more things. Crude protein, in general, protein has more buffer capacity than cereals. So the higher the crude protein, the less chloridic acid you will have available to reduce the pH. And remember, in piglets, the main problem, if you want to check only one thing in piglets, to me, no, no, you can only look at one thing. From a nutrition point of view, I will look at the pH. Remember, the piglets, they don't have, the pH is very high. And the vegetable protein, today, most feed for piglets are based on vegetable protein, almost all. You need a very low pH. If the pH is very high, the pepsin will not work, the protein will not be digested, so will be fermented with all the proteins that we mentioned. And third, and remember, so protein, we we don't want it. It's not only because of fermentation, but it's also because of, of the of the buffer capacity that it has. So protein is not a good idea for any reason to have. Also, of course, in the case of Euro, for contamination. So everything right now is related to that. So I agree with this comment on good protein. And remember, the second one, important is less protein, more fiber. How much? No idea. But don't put more protein and don't reduce the level of fiber that we are using in the diet. Certainly. Okay. That was um, that was going to be my third point. But yeah. yes, you summed it up right. So the uh, fiber, okay, we need to look at that. And then the fourth point, I think, is there's something in rice. Uh, we don't know what it is, but it's uh, it's good. Um, it does something for 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 wiener piglets, maybe related to the glycemic index. Uh, but there's certainly something in rice there, right? That that is uh, that is good for for wiener piglets. This another thing that is very good on rice. The starch of rice is very very well digested. So you, you have that advantage too. And the reason is because the grain is very small, it's not very well protected. I mean, it's not, it's not like a corn that is protected by a protein, by the oil. You know? in, in the case of, of rice, the starch is very, very well digested. It's close to 100%. That's one of the reasons why when the people tell me, okay, I, we will use broken rice, but they heat it. 
How should we heat it or not heat it? Here you have to be careful. Usually we use broken rice. So it's broken rice means it's not clean. It's not clean, it's a very good idea to heat it because just to reduce the microorganism that is infecting the feed. Second, if the starch of the rice is already 100% digestible, you don't need to, to heat it to improve the digestibility. It's already 100%. So you have to be careful with that. So in short, to me, the heating of rice, piglet has to be very low and directed to control microorganism contamination, not to improve the digestibility, as much as happened with corn, for example, or things like that. Great. I think that that uh, we now, now it's time to 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 recap and to say goodbye. I I think that uh, is saying that we are what we eat. Um, uh, I I would like to add that that we will learn what we hear. So uh, and today we we uh, we we have a master class on on nutrition, and I think that that we should be really very happy to have someone like like you, Professor Gonzalo Gonzalo Mateos, to 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 jump into this topic and to enlighten us on all these really nice nice things. So personally, I was enjoying like uh, like uh, like a kid, like a baby on on that conversation, which I will never end up, but like everything or like life, everything has a beginning and has a, an end. So this is, this is the, the, the end. And, but the end is not, let's say that the end, the, that goodbye is not the end. So it's just a hello to say, oh, it's just a circle to say hello again. That was a song from Susan Vega. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Gonzalo, for, for, for yeah. Professor Gonzalo for being there. It's been a great pleasure. And thank you. And really, we enjoy a lot. Thank you very much, Dr. Gonzalo. The same for me. Thank you to all of you. Was it very okay. good? Thank you, guys. With that, we end up this uh, podcast uh, session. I hope that you enjoy as much as we did. Thank you very much and have a nice day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast and for spending some time with us. We will see you next time for more relevant information about everything we want to know in the swine business. Take care.